Welcome to the One Thing Global Leadership Summit podcast. Today we'll be discussing how the 24-7 prayer movement has fired up a generation to pray. Amen. Join me to welcome my friend Brian Heasley. Uh, who is the, if I say correctly, executive director of the 24-7 prayer movement? I'm the international prayer director for 24-7. International prayer director for the 24-7 prayer movement based out of UK, United it's Kingdom. It's so good to see you, Daniel. Good to, to meet you. Yes, uh, we obviously uh, covered this time with you, Brian, because we want to glean from this very vibrant, young adult-oriented uh, prayer movement that you've been part of. Maybe we'll start off with how do you get involved in this movement? How, and what are the elements within this movement that really attracted you personally? Well, I think I, I got involved as a young man, really. Like well, This has been going 20 years, and I didn't have grey hair then. So uh, we, there was a real sense in the UK in the sort of late 90s, there were lots of different evangelistic initiatives. People were coming up with loads of great schemes and loads of really great ideas for how to reach the lost. And it was almost like in the midst of that, God went, hang on a minute, here's my idea. Why don't you talk to me? Why don't you pray? And it was like we were doing a conference in Southampton in England that was called Cultural Shift. What and year it, was that? This was 98. Okay. And so in 98, we're doing this conference. My friend Pete Gregg had been incredibly inspired by the Moravian prayer movement coming out of Hernhut, that they had done a 100-year prayer meeting and he thought if they could do a hundred years couldn't we give it a could we try and do a week just pray non-stop night and day 24 7 and this had really taken off in his church i wasn't a member of his church i was leading an, another church somewhere else in england this had taken off in his church and then at this conference we were doing together i remember pete getting up he read out this beautiful poem called the vision you know, and it was about young people giving themselves to night and day prayer. It was about young people giving themselves to mission. And there was just something in that that captured my heart, touched my spirit. And I was like, I, I'm in. And, and as well, I, I started to get a bit frightened because Pete was getting a little bit overwhelmed. There was lots happening. And I don't know if this is the best reason to join a prayer movement. One of the reasons was I wanted to help my friend. Wonderful. I think it's a good reason to join a uh, ministry partnership because it's out of love. You're loving your brother and you want to be your brother's keeper. You know, even though you might not have the full picture of what this is all about, it turned out to be something more enormous than you, you initially uh, predicted. Now, I'm caught by this storyline of 20 years because in Kansas City this year, we are celebrating 20 years of 24-7. So it looks like the Holy Spirit is stirring up uh, some momentum about 24-7 prayer across the nation around the time of 1998 and 1999. Yes. And I remember Mike Bickle was pastoring, the founder of International House of Prayer in Kansas City, was pastoring a three, 4,000 member church and the Holy Spirit began to use a series of confirmation to tell him in 1998, that he is to get ready to launch 24-7 in 1999. And in fact, some of the confirmation came from the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. There was uh, some prophetic people that gave a word through Noah Alexander. So 
In fact, the phrase was specifically, do not say it is not time to build the house of the Lord. The word was given to, to Mike through uh, Noel and through, from somebody from the United Kingdom. So comment a little bit on those days when it's raw, 98, going to 99. Has Pete Great written the book Red Moon Rising yet? No, we started in, so this whole movement eventually from this conference was given birth in 99. We, this year we celebrate our 20th anniversary in- That's Ireland. remarkable. So it's, it's like, it was almost like God was moving, breathing across his planet all at the same time, pulling multiple different strings. I guess it can't all happen through one person. So God was on the move in multiple ways around the world, but, but his agenda seemed to be the same, which was, listen, the, the church isn't growing, the darkness is becoming darker. my bride needs to gather and pray and cry out to me humble themselves call out and I will turn and heal their land so we were we were just very much part of that and it was like honestly Daniel we had been struggling to get people to go to prayer meetings for years I was the pastor of a church but the minute we started saying would you come and pray at three o'clock in the morning four o'clock in the morning people were just like biting our hands off to get in these people were having arguments that other people had taken their prayer slots it, it just went viral very very quickly so oh, the radical call becomes something that's contagious yeah it, it, whenever we were like would you come to a prayer meeting at 7 p.m on a sunday evening no one came the minute we started saying, listen, we're, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this night and day. We're going to give ourselves no rest until we see your kingdom come. And it was there was something in that that sparked and inspired a generation that that led them to then say, right, I'm going to do this. We had, we had people doing, you know, teenagers. I remember one mother phoning me up and said, my son's just sat in the corner of, of, of his bedroom for two hours speaking in tongues. Is that normal? And I was like, yeah, that should be the new kingdom normal. But yeah. you know, we have a good problem. <laughs> yeah, parents getting worried that their children were getting too into prayer. I had a group of young men that were in the town I live in, in rural Norfolk. They were so inspired by prayer, they decided to, that they would walk around the town seven times. So we started to see this thing, people going into the prayer room, getting ignited in prayer, but also going out. You know, so, so they were taking the prayer out. And so that it was, it was an incredibly exciting time. And I mean... We, we, we felt we were part of something. We felt it was a wave that God had created. We didn't try and make it happen. It was, and, and Mike would probably say the same thing. It was like a, a wave and we just happened to, to surf it. Don't make waves, surf them. And really so we surfed, we surfed this wave of the spirit and have been doing so on a pretty crazy journey for the last 20 years. When, where was the first boiler room? The first, the first boiler room, we, we have different uh, phrases around this. So we okay. have 20, 20 it would probably be helpful if I just explain that we have 24-7 prayer rooms, which are, they pop up in a church for 24-7. So we have had 17,000 24-7 prayer rooms in various churches around the world. So that's our, our, our one of our dynamics, one of our giftings is to inspire a local church to set up a, a room for a week and pray nonstop. And then off the back of that, some of these communities started started becoming what we call boiler rooms. I guess you could call them 
churches. Uh, it, it was kind of like Spurgeon, you know, the the old Victorian preacher. When he mm. he was the, London's most famous preacher, he would get like nineteen thousand people turn up in Victorian times to hear him preach, and even had Queen Victoria went to hear him. I mean, he was this phenomena in London, and he once took some leaders down and said, here is the secret of my success. And he took them into the boiler room of the church building. And there, every time he preached, there was a group of people non-stop praying. So we were kind of very inspired by that and, and, and called, called our more non-stop long-term communities. We started to call them boiler rooms. Our first one was in Reading in England, uh, you know, wow. near an ancient monastic site. We started to see like uh, kids from local uh, projects and council estates coming. We saw, you know, were people from all over England really traveling to see what was happening. People were getting saved. People were coming in on drugs and they were coming off drugs. And it was a very missionally positioned prayer room right in the middle of a, you know, in a, a very urban part of England, Reading. And so that was our first prayer room. And we our first, sorry, boiler room. And then we started to see more of those pop up around the world. So the term boiler room was inspired by Spurgeon's uh, intercessory group in the boiler room. Exactly, yeah. And providentially, the largest Spurgeon library is actually in Kansas City right now. In really? A, in a seminary here. I did my thesis on him at, at college. Uh, one day when you come to Kansas City, I'll take you up there and visit oh, the Spurgeon so Library. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, as I see, there are some commonality in terms of the way the, birth, the, the Lord birthed the 24-7 prayer movement out of the UK with Pete Great and yourself and others, and also the movement that came out from Kansas City. For example, young people is the focus demographic. They mm -hmm. were the one that were, uh, have the most energy to lead the charge and, and spread the movement. Secondly, the creative is involved. It is not just a one-style prayer meeting. The music, art, dances, all form of creative expression are part of the ingredient, right? We, and found, we found out that that's exactly the same. Painters, artists, DJs, you know, it just create the creative expression was something else that ignited passion. And the third one is the linkage between 24-7 prayer and 24-7 work of justice, compassion, where yeah. there's missional reality that's tied to prayer. Yeah. Uh, we, we were really stirred about becoming the answer to our own prayers. Or Remarkable. So um, tell me after 20 years of this movement, what is the state of the union right now? Where is it at? The high and the lows. Tell us some highs and then tell us some challenges. Because our audience are trying, you know, at this 20-year mark, there are people who have been on the journey and they are facing some fatigue. And some people are just jumping in. They're fresh. They say they're excited. How come I didn't know about it? Or they're just coming of age right now. They used to be kids and now they're young adults. They're saying, I want to give all my life to this. You know, so having gone through 20 years of the journey as uh, spiritual father and mothers, I think it's good for us to bring them into the reality of some of the highs and the lows in the past 20 years. Yes. Let's get vulnerable. Okay. <laughs> well, I, from, from the highs point of view, it's, it's been beautiful for us to see mainstream denominations that were once... Uh, 
drier than they are now capture and catch prayer i think we there's that there's isaac in genesis it talks about his shepherds they unblocked the ancient wells but then that didn't quite work and they dug new wells and i think one of the things that we've we've been really graced with is this this sense of unblocking ancient wells and digging new wells so we're seeing new expressions of prayer but we've been really we've been blessed to be able to serve really ancient denominations here in the UK like the the Anglican Church so in in England the Archbishop of Canterbury he's the head of the Church of England that's 80 million people worldwide belong to the Anglican Communion. They've got all sorts of challenges, but one of the things that they wanted to do was to pray. So we helped him with an initiative called Thy Kingdom Come, which was just a 10 days from Ascension to Pentecost, getting the church to cry out. This is traditional churches. We're talking about men, men in frocks, <laughs> you know, and big pointy hats and all sorts. Yep. Here was the prayer, Daniel, that, that God would send his spirit to empower the church to greater works of evangelism. Wow. And the, so last year we saw over a million people in the UK gather in various sites around England, praying that God would send his spirit to empower the church to greater works of evangelism. If you'd have told me 20 years ago that we would be working in these old denominations, doing these kind of things, I would have laughed at you. I mean, we had a prophetic word years ago that said, uh, if you concentrate on the poor, I will give you the palaces. And I don't know about you, but I, when, when I get a prophetic that word, I always... a profound phrase there. Yeah, and it, but sometimes we, we, we just think, oh, it's metaphorical. You know, it means one day we'll have mansions in heaven and, and all of that. Well, after, when we got that word, we had a, a cardinal in Austria saying, would you like to come and celebrate your 15th birthday in my palace in Austria? Is that Cardinal Schoenborn? Yeah, Cardinal Schoenborn, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's very into prayer. Remarkable. So we, so we, were, we found ourselves leading a prayer meeting in St. Stephen's Dom Cathedral with 4,000 people from all over Europe. And then we had, we, he hosted all our events in, in, the, uh, in the palace. And then when we got back from that, I was invited to come and serve at Lambeth Palace in London uh, a day a week. I'm there helping the Church of England. So if, you'd, if there are some of the highs that we've been able to see uh, God at work, not just in the, in the new wells, but in so many old wells. And then we've seen other things where we've planted new works in, you know, Europe's dark. Okay, there's lots of darkness in Europe. It's 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 predominantly pagan, pre-Christian. You know, doesn't want anything to do with the gospel. It's it, and so we've been planting works in 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 parts of Europe now that have been super exciting. There's a small island called Ibiza, just off the coast of Spain. We planted a work there. Now the British press called that Sodom and Gomorrah. That was wow. that was it's like near Gibraltar. Uh, no, you have to go a little bit further up. Okay. If you were to go Barcelona, it's just kind of oh, 80 okay. miles out into the Mediterranean. So okay. there's three islands, the Balearic Islands. So it's Menorca, Mallorca, and Ibiza. So to give you a sense of context, Ibiza is like spring break. Oh, it's wild European spring break central. And so it's like it, that's six months of the year. It's crazy party place. So we went and planted a work there. 
because we wanted to go where our best prayers took us. And if the press were calling it Sodom and Gomorrah, and that was darkness, we were called to be light in darkness. So I actually had the privilege of moving there with my wife and children. And we planted a work there. We trained up young leaders. We, we, we spent time out on the street, actually. That's another thing I've seen a lot of. Out on the street, we prayed every summer of over a thousand people who wouldn't yet call themselves Christians. Mm-hmm. So we'd, we'd get these wonderful opportunities to go out from the prayer room and pray with people, lay hands on people, lead people to Jesus, clean people up when they were covered in vomit, take care of people who were drunk and vulnerable and be Jesus out on the streets. But this was this is weird because I was kind of having the conversations, right, that street evangelists would love to have, but I'm the right. prayer so it was, we, we were very much, it's about prayer, breathing in. So we're in the prayer room, breathe in his presence. And then out on the street, breathe it out, breathe in, breathe That's out, it. breathe That's in, it. breathe out. And for us, that was a sense of, uh, that felt very healthy. So we'd often get guys that come say, oh, I just want to spend time in the prayer room or other guys that say, I just want to spend time out on the street. We made them do both because you need to do both, breathe in breathe out and actually i think that's another exciting thing i've seen over the last 20 years is missions movements breathing in a little bit more yeah realizing that all the strategies all their organization all of that's not going to work unless they pray and rather than just praying say god bless this great idea we've come up with i think i'm starting to see missions movements starting to say god please speak to us, lead us, guide us. So I'm seeing greater prayerfulness in missions movements as well. So, so there's some of the real highs, the exciting, missional, old wells, new wells, you know, mission movements getting inspired to prayer. They're, they're exciting. So let me catch you on a few points Sorry, here. I'm speaking I, I, really quickly as well. I get really excited. No, this, the, this is great. We need your excitement to be contagious. I want to extract a few key points here. You mentioned Europe is dark. But in the midst of deep darkness, the people of God are arising all over the world. They might be in small numbers, but they are potent, they are concentrated. And for those people who are there, they are full of conviction. So maybe give us a picture in UK right now. How many different type of prayer room do you think exists across the United Kingdom? Just over the Easter weekend alone, we saw over 52 24-7 prayer rooms happening in one week. So that's one year's worth of prayer. But we we see houses of prayer popping up, places much like yourselves in Kansas, constant night and day worship, prayer, intercession. We've seen a lot of churches now building purpose-built prayer rooms. HTB, one of the largest churches in London, has a night and day 247-365 dedicated prayer space. We've started to say, you know, 20 years ago, Daniel, if we'd have wanted to see night and day prayer, we'd have had to go to Korea. Right. But now what we're seeing is night and day prayer is popping up. And I mean, Switzerland are now in the middle of a year of night and day prayer. We're at Germany. Johannes Hartel, who I'm sure you know, is seeing phenomenal things happening in Augsburg in Germany. I mean, it, 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 there's a real sense that as the darkness has got darker, the church has got lighter. So the UK, I think, is seeing new expressions and we're seeing in just a... I think a new intensity. We've we've just literally been at uh, the UK's largest Christian conference. And and this was last week. And 30,000 people attend over four weeks. And the whole theme to celebrate their 40 years of being existence was prayer prayer wow, wow. and we, so we were we, we've been talking to old and young and all sorts and 24 7 prayer were asked to partner and help with that so i mean 
it just genuinely feels like we're at a moment because especially with Brexit and, and right. all sorts of different things that are happening here, I'm sure you know about in the UK, whatever people, whatever position people are taking, everybody's thinking, this is a mess and yes. we this need This is to a pray. moment and we need to be before the Lord. That is yeah. one common thing that everybody realizes. Yeah. We can't fix this mess with our own strength. It's yeah. too complicated. So the, the second thought I had when you were sharing is that people are pioneering in some of the most challenging places. I mentioned yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah. So uh, is that widespread uh, that you see people getting leading from the Holy Spirit, burdened from the Lord to go to different places and begin this prayer evangelism expression? Is that common? It's not as common as it should be. I guess that would be one of my disappointments that we would, I would love to see more of that. But where we see it happening, it's happening well and it's doing some good things, but it's not as much as we would like. I would, I would, it would be unfair of me to say that was happening all throughout Europe, but I think there is a groundswell to see it happen and we need to see a generation rise up and do this you know, a missionally engaged prayer movement that's out there. So it's it's not like we've got people in Lebanon, in Macedonia, in Iceland, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably doing the British thing or where we kind of play it down a little bit, but it is happening, but it's not as much as I would like to see happening. I, I'm so hungry for more. I was reading George Whitfield's biography mm-hmm. and the great uh, revivalist from the 1700s and one of the things he said repeatedly to the Lord was I first I first and I'm just I, I'm thirsty for more than what we're seeing and I don't think that's John's because 1928 Jesus yeah. said it I thirst it's not because I'm greedy it's because I think God is generous so yeah. I'm, we, we want to see more you know we're, we're not seeing enough okay yeah. so let me just recap uh, prayer room has been sparked across a traditional existing denomination across yes. the nation, as well as new expression popping up, yes. as well as pioneering expression are popping up that you wish to see more yes. uh, in some of the most challenging places. Maybe at this point of time, we can transition to some challenges. Mm. Over the last 20 years, as you desire to see this movement even gaining more momentum. Like, for example, I'm going to start off in Kansas City. One of the uh, challenges we face is that although we have people who have done this calling for 18 to 20 years, majority of the people are doing it about two to five years. Young people coming in about 18 to 25 years old, they do this with full dedication and then they move on to some other career path or calling in their life. So because of that, uh, continuity is a challenge. That's one of the challenges we face. Secondly, is also if for some people who do it more on a full-time capacity, uh, personal raising personal support to be an intercessory missionary on a long-term basis is a challenge, especially when single young adults uh, get married and have, have children and the size of the family increase, the budget of the family increase. So these are one or two examples that we face in the last 20 years. On a global and local level, what will be some of the things that you would have observed within what the Lord is doing through 24-7? I, I would observe that uh, when Paul says in Romans 12, therefore do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, that one of the increasing patterns of this world is immediacy. Mm. we want everything instantly so like you i would be saying that one of our biggest challenges is perseverance mm. 
is that the, the discipleship around the fact that it said in the New Testament about how that they were together in prayer constantly mm-hmm. and then suddenly. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of correlation between constantly and suddenly. But I get worried sometimes that we have a generation that just wants suddenly moments. They don't realize that there is a lot of constantly, you know, some, some, we, we read the book of Acts and it's highlights, but that some of the most boring verses never did make it into the Bible where the apostle Paul, I got up today, I prayed and I made a tent. I got up today, I prayed, you know, because there was so much more in between the big highlight moments that was about consistency and prayer and perseverance that I think we've got to really disciple a generation to, to do that, for, for instance, we had a, we led a chap to uh, to Christ in in Spain, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone was going, "Isn't that fantastic? The ministry you're doing, you preached the gospel, you led him to Jesus." Mm-hmm. He was 36 years old. It looked good on us, but the real victory was his mother who had mm. prayed for him for 36 years without wow. seeing any change. And so we we need to teach that kind of uh, long persevering prayer. Yeah. Totally. I mean, my brother backslid and I backslid when we, we were young because my mother died. I ended up going, this is a whole other podcast, by the way, but I ended up going to prison and mm. I was in prison four times as a young man. And mm. uh, and, and my, my father must have come and visited me in prison and he didn't see any change. He didn't see any difference. But behind the scenes, my probation officer was a Christian. My lawyer wow. was a Christian. The guy wow. I was in a prison cell with was a Christian. But every time my father came to visit me, he wouldn't have seen any change. But behind the scenes, God was at work. Wow. And he persevered in prayer. And I gave my life back to Jesus. Now, my brother wow. did the same, but it was 30 years later. Wow. And my dad prayed every single day. And I, there's, I don't know how we do it, Daniel. I'd love to, I'd love to think around the kind of discipleship tool that is... You may just pray the same prayer. Well, we face the same challenge, like you say, but we try two ways. I wouldn't say we didn't try, but we don't have a hundred percent success rate. That's why it's still a challenge, right? Yeah. Yeah, So uh, one of the things that we do is uh, we call it the power of the focus life, which is um, mapping out your days in smaller increments so to that you have milestone to keep going instead of just waiting for the high and the low. That is to keep people in the, we call that the glory of the mundaneness. Because this, this prayer room have been going on for 20 years. We haven't had significant revival yet and some fatigue are setting in. Mm-hmm. So uh, the to to continually remind people of the glory of mundaneness and the rhythm and the structure of life is actually the two things we try to put in the system. Like I said, that it's not waterproof. There are a lot of uh, uh, mixed fruits. Some people respond really well. I, we saw 18-year-olds stay steady until they are 38. You know, like 20 years, they still mm-hmm. they take heed to the principle and it works. And others do it for two years and say, forget it. You know, I'm not that kind of person. They move yeah. on. So, yeah, it's not 100%, but we have to keep trying. We are in agreement here on, on yeah. in terms of the need for perseverance. What about a global scale in such great diversity of different nations, different type of challenges? How would you, how, how do you cope with all this diversity of culture, languages? 
in terms of a global prayer movement? Well, as I we have ten different national offices all around the world, and I've I've been it's been a tremendous learning curve for me. I'm Irish, okay, so I, I and I live in England and I've lived in Spain, so I get a little bit about what it is. But but culturally, it's so different around the world. Our brothers and sisters in Malaysia. Uh, I was talking to the Archbishop of Southeast Asia actually last year when I was in. Kuala Lumpur and he was saying we like a little bit of persecution I was like really he's like yeah no we like I said, he said we don't want high levels I said why do you want why do you want it's a little bit yeah, well, no, but, but he said well he said this is the interesting thing he said to me he said because we think the church in the west doesn't really get persecuted that much or, and and it, it grows a little bit fat and complacent whereas because they're under a bit of pressure they, they pray more. So I, I'm not saying for one minute I don't wish or don't pray for, for persecution. It's just a fascinating thing to see. Or, you know, or when you're in when we're in China, some of the challenges we have there recently have been incredibly difficult and probably can't talk about them all here. You know what I mean? But, right. but they're, they're, we've had we've had people have had to leave, you know, so they're, they're, there's some there's some global crackdowns and there's some pressure coming and some key pressure points around the, the the around asia that i think are very challenging europe there's the rise of secularism that is that is chomping at the bit you, i mean increasingly difficult to to be uh forthright about your faith in the public square mm-hmm. and so that that's i see that happening i mean in and and, and in some nations, it's easier. In some nations, it's harder. So I, it's not like we, it, it doesn't, I, I probably would want to dispel the myth that we feel we're living under a dark cloud. I think that, that most of the church in, in Western Europe is feeling relatively hopeful and excited, you know, because we're, we've been inspired by Bethel. We're inspired by Kansas. We're inspired by seeing different, and, you know, there's the great worship music coming out of the UK. And so the church is quite optimistic. But at the same time, I think there is a, there, there, there's a really changing world. It's a little very unsure and it, and it, and it changes really quickly. But that's the thing that we've noticed: opinion changes and shifts, and there's all sorts of agendas at play. And I, and I, I think that, so. In Europe, in the West, we're seeing that. In Asia, it's a different thing. It's like persecution. In in the Middle East now, we are seeing some incredible growth. The yes. church, church in Iran, as you would probably know, is growing fast as anywhere. Yep. Yep. And, and and we are, you know, so many Muslim guys that are coming and then they're having visions of a man in white, visions of Jesus. I heard about a church in a specific country in Middle East that's a tourist attraction, but they've put some people in there, some Christians in there, because when Muslims come in and go, I'm looking to talk to someone about the man in white. And they say, OK, come and talk to me. And then they send them off to a kind of secret church where they introduce them to Jesus. So there's there's a, a, there's these kind of supernatural vision type stuff happening in the Middle East. There's there's the persecution and the kind of we're just going to keep going in asia that i'm seeing i'm being very big global brushstrokes here daniel for sure for sure this is happening and uh in fact uh the the church is growing so fast in iran right now the challenge is not half as a challenge is they're not discipling them fast enough because it's coming so fast Thank you for joining us for this One Thing Global Leadership Summit podcast. Please join us next week as Daniel Lim and Brian Heasley continue their conversation on the global prayer movement.